We last week finished up a series through the book of Daniel uh, that took us a while, but we got through it, and that was exciting. Uh, and so this morning we're starting something new as Easter is approaching. Oddly enough, think about that, Easter is approaching. I wanted us to take some time to really focus on the life of Jesus uh, so that when we get to Easter, that Easter is all the sweeter for having been reflecting on the life of Jesus for the, for the previous you know, eight, nine weeks. So we're going to start a new series today. We're calling it Encountering the Messiah. So for 2,000 years, people have debated and wrestled with the question, who is Jesus? And I want us to dive deeper into the person of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to look at different encounters that people had with Jesus, their conversations with Jesus, so that we might step into those stories, see what we might learn and take from Jesus in that conversation, uh, what he taught, how it changed their life, and how it still changing, has been changing lives for 2,000 years. Uh, Jesus is obviously not walking amongst us right now, but yet still we can encounter the Messiah, uh, and he will change us forever. Uh, one of the things I want to uh, point out that we're doing differently starting this week is uh, on Mondays, uh, I'm going to record a podcast. I haven't titled it yet. I'll title it by tomorrow. Um, but basically, we're going to dig deeper into the sermon. And so uh, many of you have questions after the sermon. Many of you want to follow up and ask things. Uh, if you go into our church's app, under the current series, this, this week's ser- it says this week's sermon button right in the middle. Click on that. There will be another button that says ask a question. Click on that button, submit a question, and I will answer it and follow up with it in the podcast the next day. And so you'll get it uh, early in the week. Um, and uh, it, we're going to try to make it short enough so that you can listen to it on your drive to or from work or uh, quickly sometime throughout your day. So please, uh, I need some content to, 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 to work with. So. Uh, go on there and submit a question as they come up throughout the sermon. All right? So, uh, it can be easy to think that the Bible is complicated, uh, that Jesus is confusing, and so there can be lots of opinions and thoughts on what does the Bible mean here or about this or about that. Lots of opinions, lots of thoughts. And there are times, of course, that there are complicated issues. Differing opinions are warranted because maybe a particular passage is complicated. But our topic for today is not one of those. Jesus comes to save the world. And this conversation that he's going to have with Nicodemus, Jesus becomes abundantly clear about the necessity of conversion. And that without a conversion, he says later in the chapter, that you are condemned already. But with it, your whole life changes. So our question this morning is a simple one. What is biblical conversion? What is biblical conversion? Let's read together in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The disciple John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes the very words of God, and he says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? 
can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I, believe, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Number one, conversion is more than religion. Conversion is more than religion. The first thing we need to know is that a biblical conversion is more than simply being religious. A true biblical conversion, one that to, to experience its conversion, is to do more than religious things. Nicodemus, this guy that is coming to Jesus at night, he's most likely going at night because Jesus obviously is under a lot of scrutiny and uh, uh, from all these religious leaders, uh, uh, but Nicodemus wants to know more, but he's not really ready for everybody else to see him wanting to know more. And so he goes under the cover of darkness. And so we need to understand who this Nicodemus is. Who this Nicodemus is. He is a Pharisee, which means he's obviously Jewish. He belongs to this special class of rabbis who are the spiritual elite. We call them the Pharisees. And often when we talk about the Pharisees, we do it negatively, right? Because Jesus is always ripping the Pharisees. And so I get up here and rip the Pharisees, right? But that is not how they were seen in the day. The Pharisees were considered to be the most devout holy, spiritual people at the time. When you think of Pharisees, think of, of spiritual leaders, think of a pastor or, or like a Catholic priest, think of someone like that. This guy is a religious leader who is incredibly spiritual and incredibly religious. And this guy, Nicodemus, goes to Jesus believing that he's some sort of prophet or something. He goes to him thinking, we, we know you're from God because you couldn't do these things, you couldn't do these miracles that you've been doing unless you was from God. And so he's trying to figure out who is this Jesus and what role is he playing in God's story. But notice that Nicodemus does not ask a question. He doesn't ask a question. He sort of says, we know that you're from God because you couldn't do these things unless you were. And then he just kind of like leaves it open. So, like, fill in the blanks for me, right? So, like, give me all the answers, right? And Jesus does take that moment, not to fill him in on all of the details, not to fill him in on exactly what the mission is, what the plan is, what God is doing. That's not what Jesus takes this moment to do. Instead, Jesus takes the moment to expose a fatal flaw in Nicodemus' life. Nicodemus 
was religious, but he wasn't converted. Nicodemus was religious, but he wasn't saved. Nicodemus was religious, but he was lost. He was alienated. He was cut off from God. And Jesus is going to take this moment to reveal this truth to Nicodemus, to show him that something has to change. Think about how striking and how shocking that would have been for Nicodemus to hear. This man who is a ruler of the Jews, this Pharisee, this spiritual ruling class, this biblical scholar, this holy man, is told that for all of his knowledge, for all of his piety, for all of his holiness, for all of his good works, for all of his fasting and praying, for all of his attending temple and making sacrifices, for all of his synagogue going and all of his learning, for all of his belief and all that he had done from God, he was spiritually dead. He was lost. So let's make the point clear. Religion cannot save you. Religion does not make you a Christian. Being religious does not make you converted. We live in a country where this is both a really needed truth and a really hard truth to receive. Because we live in a country where for the majority of our country's history, everyone was essentially a Christian. Everyone saw themselves as a Christian, at least in name. People viewed the country as a Christian nation. Going to church, believing in God was just something we did. It was who we were. It was a part of our culture and our life. Very much like the culture Jesus is a part of, where everyone was a Jew, and everyone believed, and everyone went to synagogue. It's what you did. But because of that, because of that reality that many of us grew up in, tons of us, tons of people have done religious things, right? You have walked an aisle, or you know someone who has gone forward during a revival, or you know somebody who's had a mountaintop emotional experience at a youth camp. Or you know someone who has prayed a sinner's prayer. We have tons of people who go to VBS year in and year out, who have been baptized, who go to church every week, who have done all of these religious things, would be shocked to find out that maybe they're just like Nicodemus. Maybe they're just like Nicodemus, where they're incredibly religious. They've done all the things. They've done all the activities. They've had all the experiences. But to find out that they're absolutely lost. You see, religion says, do A, B, and C. Do one, two, and three. Do these things and you'll get to heaven. Do these tasks and you'll get to heaven. Religion says, here's the ladder. And if you can climb this ladder by doing these things, you will find God at the top of the ladder. Religion says, here are the tasks. Here are the rituals. Here are the ways to be a good person and to get yourself to God. Here are the religious ceremonies you must do. Get baptized, eat this cracker and grape juice, give some money, show up to the church, sing the songs, take the notes, do the things, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus is exposing to Nicodemus and to us that that is hogwash, that there is no list long enough. That there are not enough religious tasks that you or I could ever do to earn our way to God. He wants to make it clear that religion cannot save you. Religion cannot convert you. Religion finds you spiritually dead and leaves you spiritually dead. Being spiritual and doing religious things cannot and will not bring you or connect you to God. 
Because what you need is not a list of things to believe or things to do. What you need isn't to have more and greater faith. What you need is a new birth. What you need is a new birth. See, number two, conversion is a new birth. Conversion is a new birth. You know, sometimes we use the language of conversion too lightly. And so it's kind of, we've kind of misunderstood what conversion means. You know, sometimes we might say, oh, yeah, I used to be Catholic, but then I converted to be Baptist. Or I used to be Baptist, and then I converted to be Lutheran. Or I was Lutheran, and then I converted to be Presbyterian. Or I was Presbyterian, and I converted to be non- non-denominational. But that is not conversion. That's not what conversion means. Conversion happens one time in a believer's life. It is a single moment in your timeline of history. It is the moment you go from death to life. It is the moment you go from being a child of wrath, deserving the righteous justice of God, to being a child of God, adopted into his family, loved and forgiven. Conversion is not deciding uh, you're going to believe a certain set of beliefs. Conversion is your whole life is uprooted and given to God. Conversion is that takes your spiritually dead heart and it is replaced with a spiritually alive heart. It's when you go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It is when you go from belonging to this world to belonging to the kingdom of God. Sometimes... It is really obvious when that happens in someone's life. Sometimes it's super clear, right? Someone goes from being really, really far from God, right? Strung out on drugs and in gangs and and in jail and, and they're just living a hellish life and then all of a sudden God hits them and they radically change. Sometimes that happens and it's like really clear, man, this man was converted. He was born again. He had a new birth, all of these things. But other times it's not so clear. You grew up in church, and you've, uh, you, you were in church before you were even out of the womb, and you haven't missed a day since, and you've been to every VBS and every camp and everything, and, and you've always believed, and maybe there's some, some moments in there where, you, where you, you've, you kind of began to realize or be, finally prayed the prayer, right, or finally confessed your sin and, and, and made Jesus your king, but you're not 100% sure. That's kind of my testimony, right? Like, it might have been 10 years old, it might have been 15 years old, I'm not quite sure. But yet, even if you don't know, there is still a moment in there where you went from death to life, where you were converted, where you were made new. You might not know the moment, but it's there, where you were dead in your sin, and then you were alive in Christ. And that's conversion. You see, no one drifts into Christianity. You know how sometimes when you're at the beach and you're you're boogie boarding? Maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, sometimes you're at the beach or you're in the water and you're, and you're doing whatever and like you, you're kind of riding the waves or whatever and you, and you kind of see that, you know, see your people on the beach and, but then you kind of stop paying attention and 30 minutes has gone by and you go look up and you're like, I don't remember that house. Where are my people at? And you look and you're like, they're way down there. How they you know, and you slowly drift it over. Sometimes we think that's how we get into Christianity. Like, you know, just show up, do the stuff, right? And then, like, you just kind of slowly, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian now. You just kind of, but, but no, that's not true. No one slowly just drifts into Christianity, wakes up one day, go, yeah, I think I'm a Christian now. That's not how it works. 
Religion says do A, B, and C and you'll get to heaven. Christianity says there is nothing you could do to earn your way to God. The gospel tells him there is no ladder that you could climb. Instead, God must change you from the inside out. He must give you a new birth. God must make us worthy of heaven by supernatural means because we could never make us ourselves worthy. Conversion is more than the right set of beliefs, right set of doctrines. It is a rebirth. It is such a radical transformation in our life that the only way it can be described is that you've been born again. You've been born anew. You've been born of heaven. You were born of earth. Now you're born of heaven. You've been rebirthed because your whole life is different. Everything has changed. Something so fundamental in your life has changed that the only way to describe it is to be born again. And it's a moment of conversion. And God does it to us. Number three, conversion is supernatural. Conversion is supernatural. Nicodemus first thinks about, when when he's talking with Jesus, he he thinks, when, when Jesus tells him you have to be born again, Nicodemus is like, okay, so that means there's something I can do. How do I, how do I go do that? How can a man be born when he's old, he asks. Right? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? Right? How, how, how do you do that? How do you go back in your mom's womb and come back out again? How, how do I go through the moment? What do I got to do to be born again? How do I do it? But he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He thinks that there is some sort of checklist and he's just missed a mark. One more thing he needs to do and he needs to go do it. And Jesus is trying to get through to him that this is not something you can do. It is something that must be done to you. Jesus says to him, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He is saying the new birth is like your first birth, except for the fact that this birth is spiritual. You had no power over your first birth. It was done to you. You simply experienced it. And you have no power over your new spiritual birth. It is simply done to you. It is spiritual. You receive it. You must experience it. It is something God must do. He gives this example in verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's interesting. Do you know what both the Hebrew and Greek word for wind is the same Hebrew and Greek word for spirit? In Hebrew, it's ruach. In uh, Greek, it's pneuma. And they're the same word for wind or spirit, whether you're talking about the wind blowing or the Spirit of God coming. It's the same word. And Jesus is telling him that you may not, that you may not know where the Holy Spirit comes from or where it goes, but when he shows up, you can tell. You can see the effects of the wind blowing, and you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. You, you hear the sound of the wind, and when the Spirit of God shows up, you know it because people are granted new birth, and people believe and are changed. True Christian conversion is not merely choosing the right set of doctrines or doing these religious experiences. It is not simply coming to church. It is not doing religious things. Christian conversion is a completely new life. So new that it is like you have been born a second time. So radically changes a person that it is something that only God can do. I read earlier uh, our call to worship, Ezekiel 36, where the prophet looks forward to this day when he says, I will take your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my way. You cannot replace your own heart. You cannot give yourself spiritual life. Only God can do that. And by his grace he does. He takes your dead, stone, cold, spiritually dead heart out. And he gives you a new, vibrant, alive one. And God can do this. Number four, conversion is life-changing. Conversion is life-changing. 
uh, there was once uh, this terrorist. Uh, it was kind of a cell leader in his terrorist organization uh, who was regarded as one of the smartest and fiercest and most uh, brutal of his order. Uh, he would catch people um, uh, uh, who in his mind were uh, failing the truth. They left their faith. Uh, and if he caught them, abandoning their faith, he would torture them, he would stone them, he would kill them, make an example of them. And he was applauded by this, by everybody in his group for his brutality and what they would say was his fierce commitment to the truth. Uh, you all know of the man whom I speak, his name was Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Paul uh, was this arrogant, brutal, Christian murdering, uh, Christian murdering man who was transformed in a moment to be this humble, kind, Jesus-centered man. Traveling down a road, Jesus appears to him, blinds his eyes, gives him a new heart, and he was never the same. We can read stories like Paul's conversion and many other people who's had this radical, crazy conversion where Jesus changes them overnight. You go from gangs to Jesus, drugs to Jesus, whatever. And we hear these stories and they're amazing. But the same thing happens to every one of us who have trusted in Christ. If you are in Christ, this new birth has happened to you. The new birth or this conversion is something the Lord can give you. And when he does, you're never the same. I remember my own life, how it was like literally my eyes were, were opened to see the world for the first time in a way that I'd never seen it. It was like I had been seeing the world in black and white. And after uh, the, the, I was saved, like, it was like the world is in color for the first time. And I could see things I never saw before. I, I saw brokenness that I'd never seen before. And I saw joys that I'd, never, that I'd missed and never seen before. I saw his tender mercy. And I saw the church. I used to hate going to church. Church was boring, lame, out of touch, a waste of my time. And then it was like overnight, I didn't want to be anywhere else. It was because God took my heart of stone, he gave me a heart of flesh, and he caused me to be born again. In our first birth, in our physical birth, we are born with a sinful nature. We were born as slaves to sin, born with passions of the flesh, broken on every level. But when the new birth comes to us, God gives us a new nature. When he gives us a new heart, he gives us a new nature. We become new creations. He makes us new creations where he breaks the chains of sin, where we, where, though we might still struggle with sin, we're no longer slaves to sin. Now we fight the passions of our flesh where we once just gave in to them all the time. We are now for the first time free. The new birth is life-changing. And that's why no one can ever convince me that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. It's not because... I'm the smartest guy in the world, and I have the best arguments in the world. Though I think I'm pretty smart, and I think my arguments for Christianity are pretty good and pretty plausible. I think I can make a pretty good case that Jesus was raised from the dead historically and theologically. But even if my arguments fail, uh, you cannot tell me that my experience with Jesus is invalid. Like the old hymn says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I think all my arguments are good and convincing. I think they stand up. But also, I know Jesus lives because he's changed me. I know he lives because I'm not the same person I was before I met him. Because I've been set free by his love, by his forgiveness, and by the spirit of God in my life. If you have experienced the new birth, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced it and your life has changed. And you could never go back. You could never go back. He has changed you on a fundamental, foundational level by giving you a new heart. 
Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus at night. And now this is probably because he doesn't want anyone to see him, right, as I talked about. But I think John is also pointing out something else. As the Gospel of John, he talks a lot about light and dark. That's a big theme throughout the book, a lot about light and dark. And I think John is showing us that as Nicodemus comes to Jesus, Nicodemus is in the dark. Nicodemus' life is characterized and marked by darkness. And that's why when Jesus is talking to him, Nicodemus doesn't get it. It makes no sense to him. The words go right over his head. He wants, to, he wants another religious thing to do. And, and don't you know that's how the world looks at us? Don't you know that's how the world looks at us? We make no sense to the world. On every level, they don't get us. They look at us and they think you're weird, that we're backward, we're old-fashioned, we're outdated. They have a lot of names for us. They call us a lot of things, but they hate us. And they think we're weird, and why is that? It's because they're in the dark. And we don't make sense because though they have eyes, they do not see. And though they have ears, they do not hear. And when we plead with them, when we talk with them, when we try to show them the truth, it is, isn't it maddening when they don't get it? When they see our joy but aren't convinced? The Bible says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The world sees the cross and Christianity as foolishness to those who are perishing. They look at us and they see only foolishness. But it is because they're in the dark like Nicodemus, like we once were. They've not been changed. Their eyes are closed because they could not see what was right in front of them. And isn't it amazing how those same people who you've argued with, those same people you've pleaded with, those same people you've shown the gospel to over and over and over and you've prayed for them over and over and over. And after they've rejected it and rejected it and rejected it and have laughed at you and what you believe. That one day they called you up and they said, you won't believe what happened. You say, what? And they say, I just gave my life to Christ. And you're like, what? Why? How? What changed? All these times we've talked, all these times I've tried to convince you, what changed? They say, I don't know, but I, but I saw it, it changed my life, you know, it's different now. And the, and the stories are always different, but something hit them different that time. They heard the gospel, what they think it's for the first time, even though they heard it for the 50th time. Their eyes finally saw it, their ears finally heard it, and they were changed, and they believed, and they were never the same. That is the new birth, that is what God gives, that is what God does. He can take the worst of sinners, the hardest of hearts, the darkest of lives, give them new birth and change them forever. See, conversion changes you. But it doesn't change you all at once. You don't get converted and you're like, bam, man, you look like perfect. No, it's a lifetime process. When you're born for the first time, you have to learn to sit up and crawl and stop drooling all over yourself. And you got to learn to pull up and learn to walk and learn to run. You know, not all of you are like me, came out of the womb running to 4340. Some of you had to learn that. You had to learn to feed yourself. You had to learn all these things. Well, when you are born again and you're changed, your life is new, you have to learn everything over. You can be 50 years old and come to Christ for the first time and you are now an infant again. And you have to learn to walk in spiritual footsteps. You have to learn to walk like Jesus walked. You have to learn to feed yourself with spiritual food on his word. You have to learn to see the world as it really is. You have to learn everything new because you're changed. God has changed you. The world didn't change. You changed. And the world stayed the same. So you have to learn how to live in a world that's been your home forever. And it's now all of a sudden no longer your home. But you're still here for a while. 
In your first birth, you took on the characteristics of your parents. You have your mother's nose and your father's eyes, and you have both of their corruption to sin. But when you've been born again, born from above, now you take on the characteristics of your new father. And you grow in holiness. You grow in Christ's likeness. If you're converted, your life will be changed. Conversion always leads to life change. Conversion is a new birth. It is God-given and it changes everything. Five, conversion is individual. Conversion is individual. Several times in the text, Jesus makes it clear that he is not talking generically. He is not talking abstractly. He is not talking about someone else or to someone else. He uses the second person singular pronoun, which means he says, you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. When I say conversion is individual, I mean it is something that you must experience as an individual and receive for yourself. Many of us grew up in families that went to church, that believed and followed Jesus, And sometimes children from those families can grow up and assume that just because your family follows Jesus, just because you've tagged along with them, just because you uh, believe in a God like they do, does not mean that they've experienced the new birth. I've heard it said this way, God does not have grandchildren. God does not have grandchildren. You cannot become a Christian through your parents. You cannot slowly drift into Christianity. You can't just one day say, yeah, you know what, I think I'm a Christian now. Because Christianity isn't a religion. It's not merely a set of beliefs that you hold to. Christianity is a new birth. It is a whole new life. And so if you're here this morning and you've not experienced a new birth for yourself, if there's not been a time in your life where you've crossed from death to life, you should take some inventory. You should really think about that and weigh that. Have you just been doing religious things, going through emotions, or have you experienced a new birth? Ask yourself. Have I really been changed and converted? And if you haven't, well, maybe today's that day. Maybe today is the day that you wake up and receive it. Because finally, this, number six, conversion is through faith in Christ alone. Conversion is through faith in Christ alone. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but it's one of the most talked about and controversial issues in Christianity. Can people be saved without hearing the name of Jesus? Can people be saved apart from faith in Christ? Can people wake up one day and see a beautiful sunset and go, man, there's got to be something behind that. Can people who live in ignorance of not knowing who Jesus is, live on an island their whole life, never know anything about Jesus, but believe that there's a creator and be saved? And the answer to all those is no, they cannot. Apart from Christ, there is no salvation. Notice verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In the Old Testament, there was this time where all these Israelites had gotten bitten by poisonous snakes and they were going to die. And God told Moses to take this bronze serpent, this bronze snake on this staff and lift it up. And that anyone who lifted their eyes and looked, behold, the the bronze serpent would be healed of the poison running through their veins. 
Now Jesus, remembering that story, says that he came to be the great fulfillment of that staff lifted up and that he is the Son of Man, that who has been lifted high and whoever looks upon Jesus in faith will be saved. Believing there is a God is not enough. Doing religious things is not enough. The Bible tells us that the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe and shudder. Religion will not save you. Your good works are filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. Being moved by the beauty of a beautiful sunset will not save you. The only thing that can save you from this broken world and from the devastation of your sin, the only thing that can send you into the kingdom of God is to look and behold Christ lifted up on a cross for you is to look up and behold a Messiah who came to forgive your sins and make you whole. Do not look to yourself. You're not strong enough. Your effort isn't enough. Your religion isn't good enough. Look to Christ. And if you do, you will be saved. You will find conversion. Look to Christ and this new heart is yours. Look to Christ and this new life is yours. Jesus came into the world because John 3, 16 says he loved it and wanted to save you. But 18, verse 18 is clear, that if you believe in Christ, he will save you. But if you do not, you're condemned already. Conversion happens through conscious, individual faith aimed at a crucified and risen Christ. Those are particular words, understand them. Conversion happens through conscience. That means I'm awake and I'm realizing this is what I'm doing. Individual. It's me doing it. Not my spouse. Not my family. Me. My conscience. My individual faith. My trust. Aimed at a crucified and risen Christ. The forgiveness of my sin. I asked the question at the beginning, what is conversion? So let me give you a clear answer. Conversion causes such a profound change in someone's life that the only way to accurately describe it is to say that someone has been born again. Conversion causes such a profound change in someone's life that the only way to accurately describe it is to say they've been born again. Their whole life is new. There are some of you in this room right now, and you've never trusted in Christ, and therefore you've never received this new birth. You've never trusted in Christ. You've been religious. You've believed in God. You've done some of the religious things. You, you've been a good person, right? Like, like you've lived a good life. You've been a good man. You've been a good woman. You've been a good neighbor. You've been kind and gentle and gracious and generous. But you've never trusted in Christ. And the Bible is clear. You are condemned already. But if you look upon Christ today, if you, if you just look up to him, on a cross, crucified and raised from the dead for you, in faith, then that new heart will be yours. That new life will be yours. And the past you can leave behind. Hakuna Matata. You can leave it behind and move forward. Forgiven, loved, adopted, made new. And God will never leave you, never forsake you. He will do it to you. You look to him in faith, he will do it to you. He will change you. So this morning, man, if that's you, some of you, some of you like that, that terrifies you. Like, you're 50 years old, you're 30 years old, you're 40 years old. You're like, I've missed the boat. It's embarrassing. It's too late. I mean, one of the one of the sweetest moments in my life was when I when I watched an 80 year old man 
climb into our baptistry at my last church and say, I've been attending here for 50 years, but I've just been showing up because my wife made me. I've been showing up and just sitting here and doing this thing. And I finally realized that I needed Jesus. And to watch that 80-year-old man get dunked in that water and make Jesus his king was the sweetest, most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. Man, if you are here, everyone in this room will clap and cheer and hug your neck. They're not going to say, man, what's up with that dude? Man, they're going to think it's the best news of the year. And so if you're here and you have not been born again, you've not received this new birth, look to Christ. When we sing this song in a minute, I'm going to stand right there. You come say, Brent, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I need to be born again. Help me. Let me help you. Because all you got to do is look to him and receive it. Number two, there are some of you in this room, and you have received the new birth. Like you, ha- you are a Christian, you have received the new birth, but you, built your, you beat yourself up with guilt and shame over past sins. And you have been struggling and fighting the things that you did five years ago, one year ago, last month, last week, ten years ago, whatever. And you are wrestling with shame and guilt over that. But what does this text say? Jesus did not come to condemn you. Who comes to condemn you? The enemy, the evil one. Jesus does not come to condemn you. He comes to liberate you. And he has taken those past sins, crumbled them up, nailed them to a cross, and put them in an empty tomb where they've been buried in the ground. And the only one bringing them up is you. And so, believe the truth that if you've been born again, that's because your sin has been put to death. And rest in the gift of God to you in Christ. Rest in it. And finally, and this is a really hard one. Okay, this is a really hard one. And this is tough. I can preach a whole sermon on what I'm about to say in two minutes. So this is tough. Some of us, probably all of us in this room, have family and friends who have at one point or another in their life gone to church, said a sinner's prayer, went to a camp, went to a revival, went to a church service, walked an aisle, were moved, uh, got baptized, but it were never changed. They never actually received a new birth. And they're not in church anymore. They're living like hell. They're gone. Nothing about them looks like, like Christ. And now, it can be hard to know who's received this new birth and who has. Like, it can be difficult sometimes. But one of the things we must do is take conversion seriously. Take the new birth seriously. That it's not saying some prayer. No, prayer, no words can get you into heaven just like no words can take you out of heaven, right? It is a heart that has been changed by God and looks to Christ. And so, we've got to take conversion seriously. Right? Not just hold on to some experience that my uncle had 30 years ago and has not lived like Jesus since. But man, he said those words, so he's good. We've got to let that go and take conversion seriously. Because what that means is, for those we love, we've got to change tactics. And instead of treating them like a Christian who's been wayward for 30 years, we've got to treat them like the lost person they are and start sharing the gospel with them. Don't deceive them and deceive ourselves. We've got to change tactics. And love them differently by maybe having to convince them that they're lost so that they might behold Christ. And that is a hard thing because they're people we love and care about. And sometimes we don't know. i got people in my life, I don't know. It's like, mm, maybe, maybe, I don't know. They, they, they say they believe, but like, maybe, I don't know. It's hard. And so I, I, maybe, maybe here's what we need to do. 
Let's pray this prayer together for those people in our life. God, if so-and-so belongs to you, would you make that abundantly clear to me and to them? If so-and-so belongs to you, would you make that super clear to me and them in some way? But if they do not belong to you, God, would you make that abundantly clear to me and to them as well? And just ask God for sight, for clear sight, so that you can know, how should I treat this person in my life? Because that changes everything. Because if they're not, if, if they're lost, like we need to know that so that we can act accordingly. But if they're not, we need to know that so we can act accordingly too. What we don't want to do is pretend or have this false hope that they're saved, they're converted, they've received the new birth, when they really, really haven't. And so then we're not doing anything about it. That's not, what, that's not helpful for them or us. We want to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, and say, God, show me. Are they yours or not? Make it abundantly clear to me and to them. Let's start there and then move forward. I know that is really hard. I get that. It's hard for me in my life. But it's what we need to do. We need to take conversion seriously. So, three things to do. One, if you do not belong to Jesus, we're going to sing this song, Run Down Here. Run. Come meet him. Grab me afterward, you know. Like you ain't got to come down here. Come grab me afterward. There's nothing magical about walking up here. Grab me afterwards. Like, Brent, I need Jesus. Help me know how to do it. Two, if you're dealing with guilt and, and, sh- and, and shame, believe the gospel and let it go. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. And three, pray, God, show me whether or not and show them whether or not the people I love and in my life are yours or not. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are a good God who gives good gifts and gives us hard truths. God, we want to believe this morning that conversion is real, that when we trust and believe in Christ, that you give us new hearts, that you give us new lives, that you make us completely new from the inside out, and that changes everything about us. Father, this morning, for those in this room, and God, without a doubt, there are people in this room who have played religious games, who have thought they were a good enough person, who, who thought whatever, but they're far from you, and if they died right now, they would bust hell wide open. God, we know that is true. Father, would you help them to be honest with themselves and would you open their eyes and open their ears and open their hearts to know that and to look to you to be saved, to look to Christ high and lifted up on a cross and raised from the dead for them, not to be condemned, but to be saved forever. Would you call them to yourself this morning that they would look to you and trust. And Father, for those in this room who have been weighed down with guilt and shame, would you set them free from their past? Set them free from their failures. Know that their sin is cast as far as from the east from the west. They've been born again and their sin has therefore been put in the dirt. It's been buried. It's been dead. And the only one bringing it up is them. So, Father, would you help them to, to have new peace this morning. And, Father, finally, would you give us the strength to be honest with those people in our life that we love and have a hard time with. That you would help us to pray this prayer. God, are they yours or are they not? Make it clear to me and clear to them. God, help us to respond the way we need to this morning. We love you in Christ and we pray all those people said. Let's stand and sing together.